Hi guys, hope everyone's well and welcome back to the Improvement Podcast. So today I'm going to touch on how to structure pull. So of course last week I touched on how to structure push and then the following week I'm going to be touching on how to structure legs. I just thought it would be good to do like a three-part series in terms of how I structure these sessions so that if you fancy doing some sort of like push-pull leg split, you can and it'll give you some inspiration on how to do so. And if you don't quite fancy it, it'll just give you a breakdown of my thought process when it comes to selecting movements, which can obviously transfer into your thought process regardless if you're on the same split. And of course, this isn't like a like a perfect plan for yourself. This is me giving you some sort of template to start out with. So it's like I'll use something similar when I'm let's say programming for clients, but obviously the kit they have available will influence it, the time limitations, things like that, things like their strength and weaknesses in terms of body parts, how much effort I think they can give to their sets, how much experience they have, recovery capabilities, a lot plays into it. So this isn't like a set a set approach that you need to do. It's just simply some inspiration, if that makes sense. But to start off with, for the most part, when it comes to training push, sorry, pull, I like to break like body parts down to structuring the upper back and structuring the lats. So your upper back is basically all the muscles that aren't your lats, <laughs> as I've basically suggested. So like your rhomboids, your traps, your rear delts. And they're mainly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about upper back. So I like to split it down to targeting the upper back and then targeting the lats as well. So the lats are basically the muscle that attaches to your upper arm or your humerus and basically go down and attach to your lower back. Uh, so when you see people with like the muscle under their armpit and it's like flares out, that's your lat. Uh, it often makes you look wide. It often makes you like have a narrow waist, that sort of thing. So that's what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the lats. And when it comes down to like starting a pull session, usually I'll start with, let's say, like a lat-focused movement. The reason being is most folk have weaker lats than they do an upper back because it's much harder to target your lats. So most people, when they do start training, they don't really target their lats very well at all. Unless you're genetically blessed with just having the ability to target your lats well, which some people are. But yeah. First off is a lat-focused movement and usually spending time in the shortened position of the muscle, meaning getting a good squeeze when your arms, basically when we're trying to target our lat, we're driving our elbow to our hip. Obviously, depending on what movement we're doing, but basically we're spending time with our elbow in line with our body uh, in that shortened position, in the finishing position of the rep because we're not strong here as we are later in the session. Sorry, I mean, we, we aren't as strong in this position later in the session, meaning we get tired when we train in this position, whereas we still maintain a lot of our strength in the middle and lengthened position of the muscle length. So the middle and lengthened position of the lat is basically when your arms, let's say, top of a lat pull down, in the middle of a lat pull down, or the end in the middle of a row uh, before you've rolled it fully to your body. That's kind of the, yeah, the middle slash lengthened position of the muscle. 
So we retain a lot of strength here as our muscle get gets tired, but we can't train our lat well in that position without having to drop the weight quite a lot, which is why it's good putting it first. Also, anecdotally, like you don't really get injured in the shortened position as much when you're squeezing a muscle. It's usually when you're putting it under a big stretch. So it means injury risk could be lower. And yeah, so we're spending time in the shortened position. Uh, and when we are doing it, usually for my first lap movement, I like a lap pullover variation. And the lap pullover is, you might have seen people do it with like a dumbbell or a rope typically. And uh, the reason being is it allows you to basically train your lap through a large range of motion. It's also not too fatiguing. So it's got little fatigue with it, meaning it doesn't absolutely smash into the ground from doing it. Like, a, let's say, a deadlift would entirely out for the rest of the session while also like priming the lats, getting you to feel the lats out, feeling basically being able to target them effectively as well. And uh, also reduce injury risk because it's getting blood in your back and it's quite like a safe movement. Uh, so, yeah, good movement for the lats. And again, little fatigue generated from it, so it's not going to smash into the ground and ruin your performance for the rest of the movements. So uh, during a rope pullover or a lat focus movement, we're focusing on making sure our elbows are tucked in uh, and in line with our shoulders usually which is why it's good using a rope or using, well, let's say, a single arm to do a pullover or a dumbbell, although it can be a bit too narrow. But yeah, basically we want our, want our elbows close to our body. We don't want them flared out really wide, like a, like a wide grip lat pullover you could do. Uh, that's not what we want. And ideally we want our palms facing in or up slightly when we're doing lat movements. Obviously with a rope pullover, we'll probably just have our hands facing in or any other pullover variation uh, so yeah that's what we usually want to focus on and if you don't do a pullover again we're focusing on keeping our elbows tucked in driving our elbow to our hip when we're doing lat focus movements whether it's a roll you're doing or a pull down uh, which i'll break down a bit more later in the episode but next up after doing let's say like a rope pullover i'd usually do around two sets typically what i do uh, if saying that there, you could do like a single arm like a pullover, you could do like a you could do that with a cuff with a rope, or you can do it with a dumbbell. Like I said, there's other options. But usually when I'm programming that, I'll do like a high rep set first, and the reason being is when we get strong in a rope pullover, it's hard to stay in the same spot without getting pulled forward. When we get stronger at it, which is why I currently do a single arm, but what I also like to do is like a high rep set, so something like a 15 to 20 rep set, not really getting them to pause it much because it's a really high rep set. And then I'll get them to do a set in the 8 to 10 rep range with a pause in each end of the rep, just so that we're spending time in that shortened position. And also, if we do a high rep set first, loads lighter, we'll get a bit tired from that set, meaning we're not going to be lifting as heavy in the second set, it's not going to pull us forward and we're not going to be unstable because we, if we're really unstable and we're lifting a ton of weight, then it's not going to be ideal for training our lats if we can't stay in the same spot. Uh, so after doing, let's say, a lat pullover, a lat focus movement, 
usually it's more of a compound movement for an upper back. So I like a compound movement second is, as we're a bit we're a bit warmer after doing, let's say, like more of a isolation movement for the lap. So you feel psychologically a bit more ready to go into that movement, a bit safer just because you've got plenty of blood in your back by then and a bit warmer. And typically it's a bent over row variation. Uh, so you could do a deadlift, but currently the reason why I don't do a deadlift is because a row is valuable, of course. But apart from that, if let's say you're doing a deadlift and you've got legs the day after, you're going to be quite trashed. Your lower back's going to be pretty fatigued. Your legs might even be tired from it, depending on what when you do. And uh, especially if you're doing push-pull legs without a rest in between, it's going to be pretty taxing. Uh, so yeah, typically it's a bent over row variation, which could be like a barbell, a dumbbell, or another. Like if you've got some sort of T-bar row set up, you could use that. And again, you're a bit warmer going on to this after doing a lap movement first. And during this movement, I treat it more like a compound movement. So I don't obsess over getting a good squeeze with my upper back. I'm more focused on bending over with a good bit of load and rolling out with respectable form. Because I don't think you need to isolate it like a muscle group. Just like a deadlift, I wouldn't focus on isolating my lats or my traps or my hamstrings i don't focus on isolating my upper back or a specific muscle during this i more just focus on doing a roll with good form and uh yeah just gripping and ripping it basically just stimulating my back because if let's say you could argue oh but you're you're not working this muscle group well you're not working that muscle group well let's say you do bend over rows let's say you work yourself up from let's say doing 20 kilo dumbbells to 50 kilo dumbbells, you're going to have a bigger back. You're going to have a thicker back. Your back's going to look much better, much improved as a result of it. And uh, I think there's something to be said just by spending time in that bent over position, handling that load. It'll transfer over to your other compound movements and uh, it will let you work on your bracing and it will just allow you to develop a decent, decent back, simple as that. Uh, and you could also do, let's say, a upper back row with a chest support or doing one seated if, let's say, you're already loading your lower back a lot or you can't load your lower back for whatever reason. But after that, after doing that bent over row, typically I like to work in a bit of a lower rep range when I'm not training a lot, as I think you can get away with it a bit more if you're upper back. Uh, so, yeah, typically... I would do like a five to nine rep set because I'm not trying to isolate anything. And usually if you're lifting very, or doing a very low rep range, it's hard to isolate muscle groups. So usually, like I said, five to nine rep range, then maybe a 10 to 12. Of course, depends how heavy the dumbbells are in your gym, if you're using a dumbbell row, that sort of thing. But yeah, typically that's the rep range I'd perform. Or you could do a slightly higher rep range if you are new to it and you're struggling to, let's say, maintain a neutral spine, that sort of thing. But yeah, basically, during a bent over row, I'm focusing on initiating the movement by pushing my hips back, then rowing towards my lower stomach and uh, making sure I have a slight pause at the bottom and then driving up again. So exercise three is then going to be a lat focus movement. So 
if let's say you done a pull down first, then a row could be a good idea now. Or if you done a pull down first, yeah, or vice versa. If you done one first, it could be a good idea to another second. Uh, if you done a pull over first, then you can kind of do either. Uh, and right now I'm running a single arm lat pull down. So like I said, what we want to think about when we're doing a lat movement is making sure we're choosing something where we can keep our arm relatively in line with our shoulder. So we've not got a crazy narrow grip or a crazy wide grip. We also want to ensure our palms are facing in or up slightly because when you do that, what that basically does is ensures your elbow stays tucked. Because when our elbows are flared, we're going to be working our upper back a bit more. We also want to be focusing on driving whatever we're doing nice and low and not driving it, let's say, towards our upper chest because that usually leads to a lot of bend at the elbow. Uh, so, yeah, that's not what we want to focus on. In terms of movement in the shoulder, you, should, you don't need to pin your shoulders back and down and hold them there because that limits your ability to use your lat effectively and get to work for a full range of motion. But saying that, if let's say you're doing a row, you don't want to do a crazy big stretch at the bottom that your shoulder comes forward extreme amounts because that will work your upper back. But saying that, you don't need to pin it back. So it's somewhere in between we want. Uh, so yeah, like I said, uh, making sure our hands are facing in, driving the elbow to the hip, and uh, we want to keep our core tight. We don't want to arch back during this because if we arch back, then that's going to put us in a position where it's going to be easier to use our upper back and involve our upper back musculature. So exercise four after that is usually another upper back movement. Oh, sorry. Uh, on that exercise, the lat focus movement, again, uh, like I said, I like to work in a slightly higher rep range. So it might be like one set of eight to 10, one set of 12 to 15 when I'm doing it. Uh, again, depending on the exercise, depending on the client or my ability to maintain good form while working in that rep range and uh, also enjoyment, that sort of thing could be taken into consideration. So next up is going to be an upper back focus movement again. So you could use a chest support here, especially if you've done a bent over row second without one, because your lower back might be a bit tired, especially if you're doing, let's say, legs the day after. So an upper back row uh, using, let's say, a chest support, can be great because it gives us the ability to allow us to stretch our shoulders forward. Uh, so basically, the reason we want to let our shoulders come forward and stretch our shoulders forward is because that allows us to work our upper back. A part of our role, part of the role for the upper back is when we're in that stretch position, when our shoulders are forward and when we start rowing, when our shoulders come back, that's our upper back that works them. So it makes sense to allow them to move forward so we can take up our back for a large range of motion. Uh, so, yeah, if you've got a row machine, you could try and use it. Ideally, we want our grip to be overhand or neutral. We don't want our elbows tucked into our side when we're trying to target our upper back. And again, like I said, we want to focus on letting our, elbow, our shoulders come forward at the bottom, sorry taking a big breath in while we do so to allow us to get a good stretch in our upper back uh, and then driving elbows back, focusing on doing so. And when you're doing it, a big mistake I see people make when using chest supports is not using the chest support. So when you're using a chest support, keep your chest on it and don't lift it off because if your chest is coming off, 
the chest support, then you're going to be using your rectors. You're going to be using other muscle groups out, which we don't want. And in terms of what else to consider in doing it is if you don't have, let's say, a chest supported machine, you can do like a chest supported dumbbell row. So set, let's say the bench up on a incline, lie on the bench and then roll the dumbbells. Or you can do it using, let's say, a, a cable station, using like a lap pull-down bar, that sort of thing. So again, during that movement, because it's, I like training the upper back in a bit of a lower rep range, usually it's like a five to nine, then maybe a 10 to 12 or a 12 to 15 set. Uh, and then of course, if any of these movements stall, you can then look to, before changing the movement, change the rep range to something different. There's no set or stone way you need to do it in terms of chasing a rep range. And uh, usually because I've not paused the bent over row, I'll try and pause this at the top and bottom uh, most of the time. Obviously, it depends on the movement, but usually I'll pause in each portion of the rep to ensure I'm using my upper back for the full range of motion. So next up, exercise five is a bicep curl of choice. Uh, and usually it's one where you supinate, so meaning you turn your palms facing up. If it's like a just a dumbbell curl, if it's a single arm preacher curl, if it's a preacher curl machine, if it's an easy bar bicep curl uh, or a cable curl or a standing away facing like cable curl on the cable stack, a uh, single arm or dual arm, just whatever I do, usually it's going to be where my palms face up just so I can work my bicep effectively uh, in a large range of motion. Uh, so yeah, usually you want to take it through a full range of motion, especially if you're not doing a lot of arm bicep exercises throughout the week or during the session, because maybe if let's say you're doing five different exercises twice a week, then you can do one that focuses purely on getting a good squeeze at the top, like a spider curl, but that's going to work in really small range of motion. So it's not going to have a lot of bang for its buck. I mean, it's not going to be very valuable. So yeah, anything but a spider curl, basically, I recommend doing. Also spending time contracting your bicep or getting a good squeeze from it. Anecdotally, getting a good squeeze and holding the top of the movement, it, it feels better. It ensures you're controlling the weight with your bicep and not just throwing it from A to B. And uh, it also means that we're spending time in that shortened position uh, because it's valuable to do so. We want to train our muscles through all muscle lengths if we want to cover all bases and maximize muscle growth. So yeah, just ensure it's a bicep variation that you can do pain-free, apply intensity to and progress over time. Going on to the next exercise, it's going to be hammer curl. So a hammer curl will basically work here brachialis and brachioradialis, which is why we do a hammer curl and not just two bicep movements. So when we're doing hammer curls, we want to keep our palms facing in. So we work those muscle groups. And this could be something like a rope hammer curl or a dumbbell hammer curl or anything similar. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, so yeah, and like I said, this will work our brachialis and our brachioradialis. And here we basically want to focus on ensuring our form's good, progressing it over time. And uh, I usually don't pause this movement because I've just paused and spent time at the top of the bicep curl and the one before. Uh, so yeah, usually don't bother. However, it doesn't mean you can, and it doesn't mean you're 
going to be missing out on a ton of progress if you like pausing the movements at the top. So yeah, not going to dive into much more in terms of arm movements. Just ensure when you're doing it, the main thing that's moving is your elbow. Because if, let's say, you're moving at the shoulder a ton, then that's going to involve a lot of your front delt or front of your shoulder. And if that's moving, and uh, yeah, if that's moving, then our bicep isn't moving the weight. So just ensure that's not the case. Usually for these two bicep movements, I might do, let's say, two sets and then a drop set after each, or I might do like three sets for the first, two sets for the second. It just depends on the exercise, how long the overall session will usually take uh, and how much bicep work they've got at the end of the week or throughout the week as a whole. And if it's if it's a strength or a weakness as well, because if it's a strength, then it might, might be like, right, well, we'll leave it at two sets because your back's a lot weaker and we'll save the effort for the rest of your sets, rest of your session. So next up, is a rear delt fly usually. So again, this is something that, not that you should just skip it, but you could skip if let's say you are really limited time-wise, this is the one I'd probably miss out just because when I'm thinking about what would the rather folk have, maybe a slightly lagging rear delts or not do, let's say a bent over roll movement, a compound movement that's gonna work a lot of muscle groups. I'd rather than miss out the rear delts. So a rear delt fly, we're basically letting our shoulders come forward before we start the movement and then focus on driving out and that will ensure we keep the weight on our rear delts. And you can do this on, let's say, a pec deck machine doing like a rear delt fly, so sitting facing it, a reverse pec deck. Or you could do it with cables, you could do it with an incline bench and using dumbbells. And then basically, if you're using the cables, you want to cross them over so you keep the tension on your side delts in the stretch position. And yeah, so on this, we're thinking about letting our shoulders be forward and driving out. And the reason we drive out and not back is because when we drive back, we're more likely to use our upper back. Whereas when we drive out, we're gonna be using our rear delts a bit more effectively because that's the role of our rear delts to basically drive our arm from in front of our body to out to our sides. So it makes sense to do that motion. And usually I pause in both ranges doing this. And the reason being is it's really easy to involve lots of other muscle groups. So it's one you really have to control because if you just throw the weight from A to B, then you're probably not going to be using your rear delts very well. So uh, yeah, usually on this, it will be like 12 to 15 rep range, maybe two sets and then maybe a drop, a double drop, depends on time and also how the rear delts are looking, that sort of thing what the rest of the session looks like of course and with our rear delt fly like i said really make sure you're controlling it and pausing don't just throw the weight and you can also do a row or something else you deem necessary instead of this if let's say a muscle group is really really weak or you want to tag on a bit of another muscle group after basically the other exercises that can be something that you can do but yeah this is the general setup i like to go with and remember, there's no set or stone way. Someone with a very lagging upper back will have a different setup to someone with, let's say, a very lagging biceps. And uh, saying that, most people just probably need to build more muscle everywhere. So don't stress about it or focus on 
define brush strokes before laying the big ones. Focus on just building muscle, getting strong and big movements, and that will do a lot of good for your physique before focusing on getting the perfect squeeze on a rear delt fly uh, and squeezing every individual muscle group perfectly. Just get strong on movements, apply progressive overload, you will grow even if you make mistakes in terms of doing things that could potentially be done better in, in theory. Effort and good form trumps basically everything. Uh, and they should be the fundamentals. So yeah, hope this has been valuable. Any questions, please ask. Please leave me a rating and review and uh, like, subscribe, depending on what platform you're listening on. We have also reached a thousand downloads, which has been amazing. So thank you very much for everyone who's contributed towards supporting the podcast in any way, shape or form. Have a great day.